Thank you, Robert. And you may have seen on the screens there that Robert was called our worship leader. We have several worship leaders. Robert, Tab- Tabitha last week, uh, several worship leaders, one worship pastor, John, and he's gone this weekend. So uh, thank you, Robert. Thank you, team. Uh, We've got baptisms happening, folks. Remember, uh, September 15th, if you've not yet been baptized, then why don't you attend on this coming Wednesday, September the 4th, a special class 101 looking at church membership, but also going to emphasize what baptism's like and what baptism's about. Uh, I think a couple of weeks back I said something along the lines like, uh, you know, a real donut isn't a real donut unless it's dipped. And... uh, (laughs) The same goes for Christians, okay? So uh, sign up and hand in that form either to Connection Center or uh, the lobby or call the office. And then our global partners, when I grew up, you heard from Katrina last week. Thank you, Katrina. Uh, But Guatemala and Brush Strokes for Hope happening in Kingsburg and uh, a night out to help kids in poverty. Last year, about 30 of you guys showed up. You painting and you enjoyed some of the things that were going on. So hey, let's shoot for 35 this year. Uh, Sign up, buy tickets, talk to Katrina. And we look forward also to David Oginga, the founder of Faraha uh, in Kenya, uh, being here on September the 29th. So, uh, yeah, all those things are happening. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks, team, for uh, leading this morning. Uh, I was in Waterford last week. (laughs) Where's Waterford? Uh, Backside of Modesto. The emphasis is on the backside, okay? And um, I had fun. We played seat bingo. You ever played seat bingo in church? Uh, Under a seat is a lucky number. And uh, if you get that lucky number, you can immediately go for lunch. <laughs> like, you don't need to wait for me, okay? You can, you can just go. Or we even sp- spun it last week that, hey, if you don't have a lucky number under your seat, you can just give $100 to when I grow up, and you can go out not just for this lunch, but miss next Sunday as well. So uh, we should introduce that here, I think, you know? Uh, uh, why should all the fun happen at Tachi Palace? That's what I say, you know? Uh, but I'm joking, folks, okay? Just in case some of you take me serious, okay? You know, uh, uh, in case some of you have checked your humor at the door. Uh, you kind of need a sense of humor when you come to church, particularly if you're the pastor. <laughs> you should hear the things we hear. Uh, so uh, so over, over the next few weeks, uh, as we head towards Thanksgiving, we're going to explore what it means when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And Christianity and following Jesus is not about sitting an entrance exam to get into heaven one day, but it's about living now in the kingdom of God. Uh, For those of you who think theologically, it's called a realized eschatology. But let's define what a kingdom is, because that's not common language for us, kingdoms. Well, here's a definition on the screens. A kingdom is any realm that is uniquely our own, where our choice determines what happens. The range of our effective will. That sphere where what we say goes. There's a definition of a kingdom. Okay? Now, you and I, we have our own little kingdoms. I get into my car and I turn on my radio and it goes to my preferred station, 95.7 Classic Rock, in my car. 
In my car and in my shower, I do a mean Mick Jagger. <laughs> Just so you know, okay? Too much information, okay? Uh, the seat in my car is positioned just where I want it to be positioned. The mirrors are just as I want them to be. There are no fries in the cracks between the seats. There's no trash or coins in the cup holder. There's no sticky fingers on the steering wheel. This is my kingdom, my car. I walk into my office. And the books are arranged just the way that I want them. My papers are in the right order I want them to be in. Mail is sitting there in my mailbox. There are memos right next to my phone. Why? Because it's my kingdom. I walk into the house at the end of a busy day. There's an easy chair with slippers lying by it. There's a Pepsi and cookies just laid out waiting for me. There are steaks cooking on the grill. Why? I've walked into the wrong house. (laughs) Here's the core message of the Bible. The gospel, as we call it. Jesus is inviting people to enter now today into another, a new, a better kingdom, the kingdom of God. Enter into a life where at its core is the reality of living in such a way that it pleases God, where God's will is done, where God reigns, where life is lived the way God designed life to be. Now, At this point, we have to acknowledge that the desire to have a kingdom is not evil or bad. Listen to the words on the screens of Psalm 115. Psalm 115 says these words, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. The highest heavens is a way of speaking in Jewish terms about the place where God is. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to to man or, or to humankind. And the psalmist is using comparative language. Heaven is God's, earth is man's. God has given earth to us, humanity. It's our kingdom. But, as a consequence of sin, our desire to rule and reign corrupts us. What's the first word a child says? No. And we don't stop using that word when we grow up. We just use it differently. Think about your own little life as I think about mine. And how often do I play king in my little kingdom, particularly with the TV controls? Mine. No, me. How many managers and employers rule and reign in their little kingdoms and every day their word is law, their will is supreme, and they rule and they reign? How many husbands... In their marriage, rule the kingdom. How many mothers to their children act as dictators? 
What you say always goes. There's never anything that you will do to different or stop your word. Your will is so. How many of us have little spheres where we rule and we reign? And how often in our marriages or in our families or in our workplaces or in our sphere of living is our rule and our reign more about selfish desires, personal ambitions, private success than about care for others, righteousness and peace and justice. The world is filled with people, some more evil than others, who are driven with the desire to safeguard their kingdoms at all cost or seek to extend their kingdoms at all cost. But Jesus enters time. God becomes flesh. And he announces that the kingdom of God is at hand or your version might say is near or has come. But what does that mean? That the kingdom of God has come. Or uh, some versions of the Bible, like if you, not so much versions, but if you were to read Matthew's gospel, he'll use the term kingdom of heaven because uh, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience and a Jewish person wouldn't use the name God. So uh, the kingdom of heaven, it is called in Matthew's gospel, Jewish gospel, more than in Mark or Luke or John. So what does it mean that the kingdom of God has come? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus brought it into existence when he came to earth. Uh, Jesus, when he came born as a babe and lived in Palestine, he didn't start it then. God has always had his kingdom. But rather, Jesus came and he preached the good news, which is the gospel. That for you and for me, ordinary people, we can access the kingdom of God. Where God rules, where God reigns, where his effective will is carried out, we can access that. In other words, Jesus came to make a way for you and I to no longer live controlled by the desire to extend our kingdoms or to be subservient and forced subjects of someone else's kingdom, but he came that we could become citizens of God's kingdom. He came to bring to a fallen and corrupt world a kingdom that operates to a different principle and whose citizens march, as Scott Peck said, to the beat of a different drum. So listen to this text. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus then came into Galilee announcing the good news from God. All preliminaries have been taken care of, he said. And the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. That is an incredible verse of Holy Scripture. Let's just quiet in our hearts. Keep that verse up there. And let's just read that again slowly. This translation comes out of the Greek, written by Dallas Willard. It's a slight abbreviation, but it's the same meaning as your text says. Jesus then came into Galilee announcing the good news from God. All preliminaries have been taken care of, he said. And the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. 
Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. I mean, that takes our world and turns it upside down. This is what Christianity is about. It's not, it's not Star Trek. Like, Jesus, get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. That's not the gospel. It's not religious rules or avoiding hell. This is the gospel, the good news. And we're going to explore this over six preaches between now and the beginning of November. Now, let's check out a central feature, if not the central feature, of the kingdom of God. This good news that you and I have been invited to receive. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Now, I'm going to go Scottish on you today, okay? Like in Scotland, I've said it before, there's no straight roads. Everywhere you go, you twist and turn. We're twisting and turning over some scripture verses this morning, okay? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and it's what's known as the Beatitudes, okay? And I want to read the Beatitudes to you. And uh, you'll notice that Matthew has, uh, verse 3, the kingdom of heaven. That's the same thing as the kingdom of God, only he was writing to a Jewish audience. And they won't use the name God in case they mar the name, okay? So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, then when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. This is what's also known as the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? After he sat down, his followers came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, and here's the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward is great in the kingdom of God. Now, you can carry on reading chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the main sources of what life in the kingdom of God is like is written within the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Yet, they are frequently misunderstood. Most Christians read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, and they say, here is a list of how-tos. How to enjoy life in the kingdom of God. How to behave when you live in it. If you do so or are so, you will be blessed and have a happy life in the kingdom of God. Well, let's check them out. Blessed are the poor, or the merciful, or the mournful, or the meek, or be peacemakers, or be persecuted. It's not the kind of actions, in my understanding, that leads to a blessed life. Yet many, many Christians interpret the Beatitudes in this way. If I take on this demeanor, if I live as this list 
tells me I will be blessed. This is not good news. And the kingdom of God is all about good news. This is a new form of legalism and it's not the right way to interpret this passage. Look closer at what Jesus taught then and in so doing, see a core characteristic of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, if you are poor, yours is the kingdom of God. If you are mourning, yours is the kingdom of God. If you are meek, Yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus is not teaching you are better off if you're like this. But Jesus is teaching that if you are like this, the kingdom of God is open to you. Because remember the context. He is up north, away from Jerusalem and the major cities. He's up in a place called Capernaum where no king would go to recruit. In chapter four, he has just healed the sick and the demon-possessed and the crippled and the weak and the zeros of Israel, the misfits, the leftouts, the sit in the back of the bus group, or as Simon and Garfunkel sang, the sat on, the spat upon, and the ratted on, okay? But Jesus has come to them. The kingdom of God is now open for you to come in. The kingdom of God is available to you through repentance and acceptance of me even if you are poor, even if you are meek, even if you are persecuted, even if you're a Raiders fan. The zeros of Israel. Doesn't doesn't that just cause you and me want to run out and tell our friends, you can come, you can come. So you didn't graduate top of your class, who cares? So you aren't the biggest farmer in the valley, so what? So you wouldn't win a Mr. Personality contest or a Miss Beauty or a Mr. Beauty contest so your classmates don't stand aside when you walk into school and sing three verses of how great thou art. (laughs) So what? That's how you get on in the kingdom of this world. That's the qualifications to to succeed in this world. But the greater kingdom, God's kingdom, the eternal, unshakable, unmovable kingdom that every kingdom one day will bow down to, you and nobody in this world can be a somebody in God's. And to prove it, Jesus says, I'm dying for you to get in. I'm dying for you to get in. What freedom, what peace, what joy, what value, what rest, what love, what honor. In this kind of kingdom, there's no silly competing with each other. There's no stupid one-upmanship going on. There's no crazy, I need to have this to keep up with the Joneses. There's no ludicrous, I've got to succeed, got to win. There's no power struggles. There's no some grade A's and some grade F's. There's no it's who you know that counts mentality. Not in the kingdom of God. You can be old and misshapen and bald and short and ugly and crooked teeth. You can be single or divorced. You can be in a good paying job or have no job. You can have your ears pierced, your tongue pierced, even your belly button pierced. You could be from the right side of town or you could be from the wrong side of town. Heck, you could even be from Wisconsin. <laughs> two, two women from Wisconsin realize that their apartment's on fire. So they go out onto their balconies. Help, help, yells one of the women. Help us, help us, yells the other woman. 
Maybe if we would, maybe it would help if we yelled together, said the first woman. Good idea, said the other woman. Together, together, together. <laughs> Anybody from Wisconsin here? <laughs> That's just too bad for you. <laughs> Jesus is causing the listeners. Now, who were the listeners? The paid up members of the Christian club, the Pharisees, the clergy, the righteous. He was causing them to reevaluate, revise who's in and who's out. Who's making the kingdom that has been promised and is now being realized? <laughs> Talk about radical and revel. This was his first sermon on the block. You could get killed for this kind of talk. And as Jesus stepped into time to bring God's kingdom near, to make it come, he immediately highlights the central distinction of this kingdom compared to every other kingdom of this world. And what would most distinguish the kingdom of God with all the other kingdoms was... This was an inclusive kingdom, not an exclusive kingdom. It's kind of interesting for me, therefore, that most churches that I speak in have become exclusive. The king of this kingdom is more interested in who he can get in it rather than who he can keep out of it. He's not guarding his little kingdom to enjoy it for himself. He wants others to come and be heirs of the kingdom. And here's the best one. <laughs> you don't need to impress the king to get in. It's a kingdom of grace. You don't earn your way in by favor. You don't force your way in by power. You don't work your way in by achievement or ability. You don't get in because of generation or because of relation. You don't win the favor of the boss to get in. You don't demonstrate why you would be an asset to the kingdom and that's why you're in. The only way in through the grace of God coming in Jesus Christ and him dying and opening up for everyone and anyone. All you have to do to get into this kingdom, repent. In other words, you don't stand in front of the king and say how good you are. You just confess how bad you are. What a kingdom. What a kingdom. This is why love permeates this kingdom and those who are in the kingdom. This is why Jesus talks about the people of the kingdom of God are people who forgive. This is why Jesus talks about those in the kingdom love their enemies. This is why Jesus talks about those in his kingdom they turn the other cheek. This is why Jesus says that those in the kingdom don't judge or condemn because all in the kingdom are dirty, rotten scoundrels who've repented and are enjoying the forgiveness and the love and the mercy of God and are now sons and daughters of the king. <laughs> Folks, this isn't Hollywood. This is the good news of the 
kingdom of God. And you have a friend, or you have a family member, or you have a neighbor or a co-worker, and they don't know this. They think the church is some exclusive club for those who've got their act together. And they don't know how amazing the good news is. And often they don't know it because we don't live it out. We live out judgment and criticism. We don't live out love and forgiveness. Last few weeks we've been talking about this prayer card. And if you're a guest with us in our church, we've been encouraging our church members to think of friends or family members that, as far as they know, don't really know this Jesus, this King. And just to begin to pray that you would get an opportunity to become their friend, to give them an invite, to come and explore and think through Jesus. And probably do that around about the Christmas time because it's going to take you a few weeks to win the right to invite. So you praying? Have you got your names written in it? Or are you one of the selfish guys in the kingdom that you're just keeping it all to yourself? That's not the nature of the kingdom of God. If this kingdom and its citizens buck the trend of every other kingdom, if it's so radical and revolutionary that it turns upside down the values and characteristics of every other kingdom, then you can bet your bottom dollar that it's a risky business being a part of this kingdom. Like when you and your workplace love your enemies, don't think that your enemies love you back. Or when you and your workplace don't push and shove to get and to have like everybody else is doing, don't think your colleagues like you for that. Or when you in school turn the other cheek to the person who insults you, don't think that they like you for it. When you forgive those who hurt you and harm you, living like this threatens everyone. Or it shows up how selfish and sinful they are. It's risky business. It's what the Bible talks about, heaping coals, burning coals on their heads. It's their kindness that causes them to repent, but they don't like it. So there's something you will need to have to live in the kingdom of God. Something you're going to need to have. Courage. Courage. So let's take a Scottish road and let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. If you haven't got a Bible, no worries. I'm going to read it anyway. You can follow along. I'm going to go a little bit into Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, then a little bit into Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, then a little bit into Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, and then it's lunch. <laughs> if you want to leave early, you just give some money to the kids and you can go. <laughs> Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. And let me give you a very quick history lesson. Herod Antipas was a tetrarch, client king of Galilee. So look at verse one. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, that's the Roman Empire Caesar, when Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, was the governor of Judea, and Herod, this is Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas, this is his real name, Herod Antipas, was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Etutura and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, only mention of Texas in the Bible. (laughs) 
During the high priesthood of Annas and Sapphias, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the region around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now pause there, okay? Herod Antipas, this is verse one, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. Herod Antipas was a tetrarch. So a tetrarch meant that he wasn't really the king. He was appointed to rule over that area by Caesar. So he was acting on behalf of Caesar, but he acted like he was a king. Okay? He, this Herod, this is a Herod that's in the story of Jesus, and he's the son of Herod the Great. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Herod the Great because the word great is a little bit weird when it comes to Herod the Great because he's great in his evil, not in his goodness. He had 10 different wives and 43 children. He's also stupid, okay? <laughs> and the wife that he loved the most was Marion and with Marion, he had five kids and married her for seven years and then he got suspicious of her and he had her and her mother killed. Two sons of the 43 sons that he thought were getting too ambitious, ambitious, he had them killed as well. Five days before he died, he had his oldest son killed. Caesar Augustus said of Herod the Great, better to be his pig than his son. He knew, Herod the Great knew, that he would not have many Jews mourn at his death. So before he died, he had 15 of the highest respected Jewish men taken and held prisoners in the city of Jericho. And when he died, the same day that he died, he had given instructions to have those 15 Jewish men executed. Why? so that there would be mourning on the day of his death. He wasn't that great, Herod the Great. Antipas, this Herod in chapter 3 verse 1, was a son of this king, this Herod the Great. And uh, Herod the Great liked him, and you have to wonder why. A chip off the old block. And he gave part of his kingdom to him. And we read here that he was in the area of Galilee. Okay? Now check out verse 19 of Luke's gospel, chapter 3. We were introduced at the end of verse 3 to a man called John. That's John the Baptist. Okay? John the Baptist didn't start a Baptist church. John the Baptist was someone who was announcing the coming of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, through baptism, okay? And in chapter three, verse 19, look what John does. He rebukes Herod. What? What, what courage, what boldness? And he ends up in prison because of this here. Look at verse 20, Herod Locked him up, John in prison. And eventually, if you were to go to chapter 9, you would discover that Herod had John beheaded. Now come back to chapter 3. John is in prison. And John is the one that's announcing the arrival of Jesus, the kingdom announcer, okay? And he's about to be beheaded. Where does Jesus, who John was announcing, go? 
well, if it was me, I'd go as far away from Herod as I possibly could. No, 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 no. Jesus goes, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus goes back to Galilee, chapter 4, verse 14. Kingdom people go right into Galilee, even if Galilee is the most unsafe place to be. More than not praying the Star Trek prayer, God, get me out of here. Thy kingdom come. Kingdom people, no matter how opposing and hostile the territory is to the kingdom of God and the truth of Jesus, kingdom people go right in there. So think for a moment. Where is your Galilee? Where is it hardest for you to manifest the kingdom of God? Where is the place of your biggest fear in being loyal to Jesus? Where do you find it the most hostile to taking a stand for the life of Christ? Where is it that you need that double boost of boldness, that extra courage to be light in darkness? Is it in your job? Is it with your family? Is it on the base? Is it in the school staff room? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your financial life? Turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. I sat for several years under a teaching pastor by the name of John Ortberg. And some of you may know John. He writes great books. He's a pastor up in Menlo Park. And John helped me understand this. John taught me Luke 3 and Luke 8. So uh, this comes courtesy of John Ortberg this morning because uh, when he taught me this here, it blew my mind, okay? Uh, listen to who followed Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 3. And Jonah, the wife of Cusa. <laughs> and then look what it says in brackets. Herod's household manager. Suzanne and many others who provided for them out of their own resources. This is absolutely amazing. Here is a list of some women who followed Jesus. And one of them was Jonah who was married to the manager of Herod's house. This is, this is a Herod that had John beheaded. This is a Herod who does not like Jesus. What courage she had to follow Jesus. And it says that uh, they provided for Jesus out of their own resources. Now, you need to understand Jewish law and Jewish culture. Women didn't have earnings. The only money they had was what their husbands gave them. Well, where does Jonah get money to give to Jesus from her husband? Who does her husband work for? <laughs> Herod. Who's funding Jesus? Herod. <laughs> and he doesn't even know it. Carry on to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 31. And we're getting near the end, folks, okay? Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 31, okay? Uh, Jesus is now warned to leave the place, okay? He's warned, uh, verse 31. Okay, some Pharisees come and say to Jesus, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you. And watch what Jesus says. Go 
and tell that fox. Go tell that fox that I will drive out demons. I will heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, God's resurrection day, I will reach my goal or complete my work. Go tell that fox. Now, in our day, we would say as sly as a fox. But for the ancients, foxes were contrasted with lions. The lions would make a kill. And when the lion had had his fill, the foxes would turn up and they'd try to pretend to be part of the kill. The rabbis had a saying, better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. Foxes were lion wannabes. Now remember, ding, 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 ding. Now remember, Herod Antipas was a tetrarch. Remember, a tetrarch acts like a king, but he can only act like a king because Caesar has allowed him to act like a king. He's really just a puppet of Caesar. The real king isn't the tetrarch. The real king is the Caesar. And Herod Antipas knew it. Go tell that fox. Can you hear the defiance in Jesus' voice? This isn't postcard Jesus. This was Jesus from Cochrane. Okay? <laughs> Go tell that pretend king, that weak and that false king. Go tell him that I will carry on and he doesn't scare me. Ah, he killed John? He can't kill me. If you think your threats and your intimidations will stop me, you've lost your brains. I will manifest the kingdom. I will make it come. I will bring God's kingdom to earth. Doesn't his defiance make you proud to be a Jesus follower? So why do you shrivel up in the staff room when they gossip or speak badly about someone and you don't stand for the kingdom of God? Come on. But John continued. So all the kingdom builders, who's your Herod? Who do you fear enough that you're not going to admit you follow Jesus in front of them? Who's intimidating you? Who are you scared of? Who's keeping you from abandoning your life for the sake of the kingdom of God? Who's stopping you from living and bringing the kingdom of God to your sphere of rule and reign? Go tell that fox. Now watch the parable. He describes Herod as a fox, but look at verse 34. He describes himself as a hen. Now think about it. A hen cannot attack a fox. A chicken has no means to kill the fox. The only action the hen can do is gather her chicks under her and die for them. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. And Jesus knew what the fox would do to him. But know this. Only in fairy tales 
do tortoises beat hares? Only in Disney's chicken run do hens beat foxes. But listen, 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 listen. In the kingdom of God, a dead hen beats a living fox. Upside down is the right way up in the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. A bolder and braver way to live there isn't. A bigger and a grander life, you'll never find it. A more criticized and disliked life, (laughs) you'll also not find. But this one, this kingdom of God one, this gospel life, it's eternal. It doesn't end. Do the math. You want to be a king in your own kingdom? Go ahead, but a casket's taking you out of it one day. Or they want to join in God's kingdom where there ain't no caskets. Let's stand for closing prayer. And as we stand, God, we stand with our feet firmly placed in Jesus Christ. We haven't entered your kingdom because we deserve it. We've entered it because of your amazing grace and love. And yet, what a kingdom! It's a kingdom that challenges all the norms of our society that that we live and surround by. Where the big and the bold, or or, or where the big and the rich are the powerful. Where Where the bully can dominate. Where it's who you know that gets you up the ladder. But in the kingdom of God, it's completely different. It's upside down. But it's a kingdom that lasts forever. And one day, every other kingdom will bow down to this kingdom. And you invited us in. And there was a day, maybe for some of us, several years back, where we bowed the heart and we asked, God, we want to be a part of your kingdom. We want to know your gospel, your good news. We're grateful that you're including us, not because we deserve it, but because Christ on the cross forgave us. And welcomed us in. Help us Lord. Help us to live in this kingdom. In a way that honors the king. May our arms be open wide to reach others. May we never become exclusive. But always inclusive. And may God this week. In our workplaces, in our schoolrooms, in our offices, amongst our family, in our own lives, amongst our finances and our decisions, may we allow you to rule and reign in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.